Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, Lark Galley. Is that how I'm saying your name right? That's correct. Will you spell your last name for us, Lark? Sure. It's G-A-L-L-E-Y, like a kitchen galley. And um, is Lark the way I say your first name? Yes, and that actually is my true birth-given name. I like. And is that a family name, or how did that name... My parents could not decide, and it was the blessing day, the blessing Sunday, and we're going in to, I'm going in to get blessed, and my grandmother said, name her Lark, and my mom and dad said, okay, because they couldn't agree on anything else. What we're going to talk about on this podcast is the topic of suicide, and by way of introduction, Lark has um, a son, Christian, that died by suicide on March 21st of 2019 at the age of 19. And that's a parent's worst nightmare. And Lark is willing to talk about this. She's been doing this extensively in the community. I think this is over a dozen podcasts she's done. And as we said a prayer before we started, we just hope that if um, you have someone in your family that's died by suicide and are really hurting, that some of the things Lark shares with you will help you heal. Um, If you're a parent and are looking for a parent's skills, Um, And Insights, Lark has a bunch of those, Um, and some may help your kids do better. Um, And so those are kind of the two areas. We'll also just talk about a little bit about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how she feels about where Lark, I mean, where Christian is, and and a little bit about why this happened and, and the eternal implications of this. Is that an okay introduction? That's perfect. Introduce your family to us. Are you married? Do you have other kids? I am married um, 22 years now to my husband, Stephen, and uh, we've had an interesting road. My first husband left me when I was six months pregnant. We had been married for seven years, married in the temple, and uh, wow. he took off. And this was before cell phones were ubiquitous. So I had no idea of where he was, just gone. Um, that was hard. That was like 18 months of, of depression, trying to figure things out. That was really hard. And I was depressed enough that I probably would have been suicidal if I hadn't had the blessing of my daughter. And that, that was a learning experience that kind of laid some groundwork for, for later, you know, things that tough things that happen. Um, so she was born, um, married my, my current husband when she was 14 months old. And then a year later he adopted her. And I just have to say that he and uh, his mom, his father had passed away by then. They took her in like she was his biological child. They were so wonderful. And um, as I'll mention later, uh, that really helped me for some things that would happen later. But um, And then a couple years after we were married, we had our son Christian. And then we had uh, a year later, uh, unbeknownst to me, you can get pregnant while you're nursing. And we had our little surprise, Victoria, she's our youngest and she's only 13 months apart. So that's close. Yes. And that was, (laughs) I wanted another one, but not quite that close, but there it is. Thanks for sharing a little bit about your divorce and being a young mother with a child. That's sort of pretty scary. And just wondering, will another man love me? And will another, is this forever change my life? And maybe that's a theme of this podcast is maybe even though difficult things happen, eternal possibilities don't change, even with um, the death of a son. Tell us about Christian. There is so much I could say. Um, Everybody enjoyed being around him. He was a quirky kid. 
He had his own ideas about how things were, and it really didn't matter what anybody else thought about his style or things he liked. He was very smart. He was able to put things together, conceptualize 3D in his mind when he was very young. My husband's an environmental engineer and Christian, just the skills that he had and could demonstrate at such a young age showed that he had huge potential for, for great things. And he was actually a freshman at the University of Utah in the um, mechanical engineering department, something he had wanted to do since he was six years old. Um, this boy was very inclusive. You know, everybody was his friend. He was just happy. We had no clue that he was in any way depressed or having trouble. Um, and so he was this happy, you know, inclusive boy for everybody except his mom. And he and I had a rough relationship, which is hard to admit as a mom. Um, but he just kind of felt that, uh, dad was the main person in the household. And then he was second and mom was some down somewhere down with the cat. You know, I, I just didn't rank very high in his estimation. So it's honest. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us parents at times have difficult relationships with kids. That just seems to be part of the journey as parents. Tell us more. Um, before we went live, you talked about about three and a half years before he died by suicide. You were you became aware that he had some feelings about suicide mm -hmm. and he went to therapy. Tell us about that chapter of the story. So once again, we didn't know that he was struggling at, at all, you know, uh, three and a half years ago. And he was having a, a parental conversation with my husband, you know, and that's that's sometimes difficult to have difficult conversations with your kids. You want them to, to move forward and do things in life, but you also don't want to push them too far. But he was almost 16. He had just started his sophomore year and he was having a conversation with my husband. It was a Sunday evening. And my husband, who is uh, just retired from 35 years in the military, in the guard and reserves, he noticed some signs from Christian and he's had suicide training because that's a huge thing amongst the military and he said directly to my son, are you feeling suicidal? And that's a really big key. You need to use the hard words. Suicide, are you going to kill yourself? Are you thinking of killing yourself? Because using the word, are you going to hurt yourself? That is not uh, the right thing because they're thinking I'm already hurting. So anything I do after this is not going to hurt me. It's going to help me feel better. So he used that hard word. Are you thinking of suicide? And my son said, yes. So they were outside on the front porch and my husband came in and said to me, Christian tells me he's feeling suicidal. Will you please talk to him and, and stay with him? And I'm going to make some phone calls. And the military has uh, special hotlines for suicide. So he was able to call and get a therapist the next day wow. that I took him to. Yes, it was really great. And so I talked to my son that night. Okay, you're feeling suicidal. Um, you're going to make it through the night. Are you going to be okay? Anything we can do, et cetera. And he promised, no, I can make it through the night. Um, and it, I will, I will say this, that even though at that point, um, it was about four, five years prior to that, my father had died by suicide. Even with that, I couldn't talk about suicide. Most of my friends didn't know that my father died by suicide. I didn't count it as reality. And because I had never come up with a plan, even though I had been in places, dark places, like I mentioned with, um, with my dad's suicide. And then also with my first husband leaving me, I had never come up with a plan. So in my mind, it wasn't real and that he wouldn't do it. 
And that's kind of where I was coming from. Um, you know, I've learned a lot since my son died. I've learned that when people say I'm feeling suicidal, they're not doing it to get attention. You know, you need to take it seriously. And, and so we did take it seriously, but in my mind, it still wasn't a reality. And then the next day I took him to the therapist and I waited out in the hall while he talked to her for about an hour. And then she called me in and I went in and she said, Christian, do you want to tell your mom or should I? And he said, no, I'll tell her. And he said, mom, I don't believe in God. I believe in science. And I looked at him and I, you know, was, he had not always been happy to go to church, but you know what 15 year old boy really is happy to go to church. So we didn't think much about that. And this is, I don't know if I told our listeners, this is a LDS, active LDS family. Very active. Um, and, uh, and I looked at him and I said, okay, son, well, um, I believe God is science, but if that's what you want to believe, you know, you run with that and we'll see where it gets you type thing. And he looked at me kind of strangely like, okay, mom, aren't you going to freak out or, you know, jump off a ledge or anything. And I, and I said, what, I can't make you believe something that that doesn't work. Right. And in retrospect, I realized that as parents, we need to be ready for these kind of conversations because what if my son had said, mom, I'm gay or mom, I got the neighbor girl pregnant. And honestly, at that time, I don't know if I might have been as calm about it as I was with him revealing that he didn't believe in God. But in looking at it, I th- and especially now after his suicide, I think parents, we, we're just there to love our children, no matter what they say, we're there to guide them and help them not dictate. And being a military family, we were big on the dictating side. So it was, it was eye opening for me. Did Christian have a plan? And is it a good question? Your husband, I think did a great thing that I didn't have any training and now I would know to do that. Um, is it good then to ask if someone has a plan? What would be appropriate next questions for a parent or a therapist? In this I, type of situation. Right. I would think if they, if they, are you thinking of suicide? Are you thinking of killing yourself? Have you come up with a plan? Because if they have, that's not a good thing. And I've since learned um, in talking to many therapists that what happens a lot of times is that we see people, they're depressed, they're sad. And then later they seem to be doing well, which is what happened in my son's case. So he went to therapy for a couple of months. And then at the end, he's like, okay, mom, I'm good. I'm, I'm done. I'm, I, I'm fine. And so he stopped going to therapy per his request. And then we didn't think any more of it because he seemed to be doing great. But in retrospect, we begin to understand that when they come up with a plan, they're actually happier because they know that when things get too difficult, they can be done. And that's what I think that that's the thing that hurts the heart the most is that my son was carrying around this plan in the back of his mind that when it gets too hard, I'm going to check out. I didn't think to carry on any kind of conversations about suicide or depression. You know, we checked in with the kids, you know, sure. or, you know, graduating from high school, going to, to college thing, things seem to be good. Um, but it just kind of his, the night of his suicide, it was the perfect storm when several things happened at once and it, it was just too much for him. And then he had a plan and then he would have planned. Point. Yeah. Exactly. He was willing to go through with it. And, and that's the thing with suicide victims is that, you know, they've come to the point where they don't see any other way out. It's just so dark and depressing there. There's no alternative. They can't even fathom going on. 
And then they've also come to the point where they're willing to overcome this self-preservation. Like if somebody holds you under the water, you're going to fight and kick to breathe, right? That's natural. But in the cases with suicide, they've, they've overcome that natural will to live and are willing to take their own lives. And that tells me that there's a, a problem in the brain. They are not in their right minds. Thank you for all your teaching us. I'm th- when Christian said in that first therapy session he doesn't believe in God, what's the connection to him have, being suicidal then? Was it actually the not belief in God or was it the differences in family belief that potentially was causing him um, dissidence or emotional turmoil or just and any thoughts on that? I think that because we were so active LDS and, you know, dad being military kind of dictated the the way the family was run. It was like, okay, well, that's fine. Don't believe in God, but you know, you'll still go to church with us. You'll still go to seminary. And he was like, okay, fine. Um, but I think really he just wanted to make his own choices. And I think that he was expressing that and trying to come out in a way that he could rebel and say, this is what I want. I, I actually personally think that he probably still believed that there was some kind of God, right. And because he would still go to, to Sunday school and a lot of his teachers were our friends and they would say things once in a while, like, yeah, Christian said this. I, I, you know, I, I think he still believes to some level, right. Um, in retrospect, and this is totally against how I would have acted before my son died. Um, okay, son, you choose, you come to church, you don't come to church, you go to seminary, you don't go to seminary, you choose. Whereas at that time it was very much, no, if we force him to go, then he'll eventually change his mind. And for him, that wasn't the right answer. It's so honest. And one of the tender parts of these podcasts is when I have um, family members on that have lost a family member to suicide, I don't want them to feel as they share what they wish they had done differently, I don't want them to feel burdened with um, sort of, this is my fault. And I think you're in a good spot. And I think all of our listeners have put their arms around you and say, you know, we sent you did the best you could mom. And, and thanks for being brave to even share and in hindsight, things you would have done differently. Um, But I'm hesitant to connect the dots all the way. If you'd done things differently, there would have been a different outcome. And I agree too. Um, Two weeks before my son died, I was able to get in a place where, where he and I could go to dinner and I could create a, spa- a safe environment and he could talk with me. Now, this is the kid that wouldn't even talk to mom for five minutes. And he talked to me for over an hour and he let me know, you know, the things he wished mom and dad had done differently and, you know, shouldn't have forced him to go to church, shouldn't have forced him to go to seminary. And he goes, I actually enjoyed seminary right up until you told me that I had to go. And he said, you know, you should have done things differently. And I said, son, you're probably right. But mom and dad, we just did the best we knew how with what we knew. And one day when you're a parent, you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. So in hindsight, probably, but who's to say if that would have made a different outcome for you? I don't know. But that was a tender mercy, being able to have that conversation with him, with a son that, you know, was very combative with his mom. Are you at peace? Because it sounds like there was a difficult relationship, but that a relationship significantly improved and based on that dinner was in a really good spot. Are you at peace? I am because I actually feel like 
my relationship with my son is has improved since his death. And that seems very odd, but now it's like we're on the same side instead of being, you know, butting heads all the time. And it, it was a difficult um, time after my son died. He died on a, on a Thursday, the 21st of March. And I was in denial, just shock and didn't quite understand. And yes, the policeman can tell me that he's dead, but you know, I don't believe it. It's just, it was just a shock. And I started to spiral down into that dark place where I'd been with my father. I was five months in a dark place and I would go to meetings. I would take notes. And then afterwards I'd look at the notes two days later and I would think, I don't even remember being in the meeting. And I just realized I didn't want to go back to that dark, dark place where I couldn't remember anything, but I was thinking in my head. And I think Satan does this gives us these negative thoughts. My thought was my son hates me. I was a terrible mom and it was, it was a dark, hard thought. And then over the course of that next week, three different people came to me and they all three unsolicited said, I have a message for you from your son. And I was like, okay, you know, I I didn't know quite how to take that. And every single one of them, the first sentence they said out of their mouth was tell my mother that I love her. And that was wonderful. And then the other thing is that the third one, who was my aunt at the funeral, she, she came to me and said, I have a message from Christian. And he says to tell my mother that I love her and tell her that I finally understand. And that's a key sentence because back when he was a teenager and going through this whole thing with the therapist and being just so outright against going to church, he was meeting with the bishop, asking to have his name taken off the record, you know, at 17. That's and, unusual. Uh, well, my oh. son, like I said, my son just did what, what he wanted <laughs> um, and, and just kind of being very combative. I would think to myself, one day, son, you are going to understand, you know, when you stand before Jesus and you have to account for everything, you'll understand what your words and actions, how they affected me and like the whole ripple effect. And when he said, you know, when my aunt said that he said, tell my mother, I finally understand. It was like a key sentence that who would, who would know that, right? That's just a thing between him and me. And I I'm thinking to myself, yes, you do understand, you know, you're in the right place for you. I love that you're more aligned. Um, as Christian reach out to you directly. And, and if he hasn't, when you hear these messages from other people and not to you, does that make you frustrated? That first week I was kind of frustrated because I'm thinking, why doesn't he come to me? Why can't I have these thoughts or visions or whatever? And another friend who had lost a child, um, said to me, you're actually, the reason this is coming to you this way is that, so you can't discount it. You can't say, oh, that thought wasn't important or I, that was just me thinking it, it wasn't him. And and I took it that way as those three messages. Another thing is that, um, since his passing and my, you know, feeling like this is a calling to talk about suicide awareness, I just felt like, like a huge spirit. And there was one day when I was just talking to someone about it and it was like, you know, testimony meeting where I just, I not only felt God's spirit with me, but I felt Christian, like just pierce my heart and that he was so glad that I was sharing his story so that we could help other people make 
a different choice because I know he regrets making that choice and he's, he's, he is not happy about his choice, but it, it is what it is. What would you say for other parents or siblings that have people in their life die by suicide that look in the mirror and say, I should have done something different or this is my fault or I, my last conversation went poorly or I forgot to text. We sort of go through when someone dies off in our, we don't look at the totality of a relationship. We sometimes look at the last communication. Um, I just sense there's so much regret and pain. What, and you know this road. What would you say to others to just help them walk out of that road? First of all, I want to just say to people in general, you never know when it might be the last time you see someone. So just your words, you know, I'm kinder with my words and I'm always careful to hug my children and my husband before they leave and always careful with how I communicate, try with my voice so that if it is the last time, there's nothing that I might regret later. Right. And, um, but I understand about the regret because the, the night my son died, he had come home from school very late. It was 11 PM. My husband couldn't sleep. So he's walking around and he came out and had another one of these parental conversations with our son. And he was talking to him about the fact that my son had gotten in a car accident the week before that was the day that the the storm kind of came in and it was slick roads and he was following a little too close and he he had a lime green camaro which you know why my husband thought that that was the car for my son i don't know now it was way unique. too yeah <laughs> you always knew when christian was coming and it was very it was you know very standoutish um and so he was going to be responsible for the deductible on that and because he had the accident and got a ticket from that as well as two speeding tickets we said you're probably going to lose your license and that came to pass the next week we got a letter that from the DMV that said you know you your license is revoked for a month and as a 19 year old you know thinking like oh that's that's a heavy thing that was one thing and then my husband said to him uh here it is the middle of the semester where are your grades? I want to know. You've been evading me. I want to know. I want some answers. And my son said they've been slipping a bit, right? So he was struggling. He's mechanical engineering. He was, he had enough credit hours that he was a sophomore level, although he was, you know, still freshman, 19 year old, still a young man. And so he was struggling. And then just kind of like my husband going through things and, and they were very close, but I think that, that he just felt like he might've disappointed his dad. And that was kind of like the perfect storm. And so my husband went to bed and my son didn't. Wow. And my husband found him the next morning. He had used my husband's gun. Wow. And if it hadn't been the gun, it would have been a hundred different ways. You I know, like that answer. It honestly would have. My son was brilliant. You know, he could have come up with anything. I love that answer. Yeah. And it, uh, my husband blamed himself. He did. And when, uh, I was away that morning and I came back and my husband just was sobbing and just broken, man. He, he was so sad. And I said, you know what? We don't know what happened earlier in the day. We don't know if Christian would have chosen to do that in a month or a year. We don't know this. And that's why I say this fine line between parents wanting to like push their children or, and, or, and pushing them a little too much. And I just think it was the perfect storm that, that happened. And if one of those elements had been left out, it probably wouldn't have happened, but it, it did. 
And like I said, I started to spiral down, but I just realized, um, over the course of that weekend, friends who were close enough to know what was going on with the family reached out to me and they started telling me about their own teenagers who knew my son. And they started telling me that one of them had a daughter who had taken a bottle of pills the year before and almost died. Another one had a son who was struggling and they were so concerned that they were going to lose him. And then another mom told me how her son was on 24 seven suicide watch for the past year. And they were scared to death. And with our son, we had no warning really. Cause you know, we thought things were fine and, and I couldn't even imagine these other parents who were struggling on a day to day basis going, I wonder if my child's going to make it. And that started to work on me. And I realized that my thoughts before they, they reached out to me were, I am not putting this on social media. I am not talking about suicide. Um, you know, with my father passing away earlier, I hadn't said anything. I just, I, the grief and the stigma, the shame, all of it was just so heavy on me. And then the parents started reaching out and I thought about that for a couple of days. And then on Tuesday, I just posted on social media about it. I finally got over the shame and stigma. And I realized this is not about me. It's not about, was I a terrible parent? Why didn't my husband and I see the signs? It's not about me, you know, cause we, we internalize so much as parents, right? If our child does something and it's nothing to do with us, really, it's not about my son or, or what maybe he was struggling with. It was about these other kids who were struggling. And if by talking about it and creating a safe space where other people could say, I'm hurting too, I've struggled and we make it okay to say that. If I could save one child, that's all I wanted to do. And that's why I've been talking about it because it's so important to me. Let's get rid of the shame, the stigma. And as I've talked about it, it's helped me heal with my son and it's helped me heal with my husband. I guess not my husband, my father. Wow. Heal with my father's death. What's his first name, your father? Harold Lornstein Jr., Harold. but he went by Larry. Larry. <laughs> um, it's pretty tender. I love the perfect storm. I love um, just you not going down in that same five month, that, you know, whatever you called it. Um, it's pretty brave and it's pretty courageous. And I love the revelation you're getting from Christian. Before we went live, I sort of, I, we prayed and we invited Christian to be here um, in some way that the thoughts, impressions that he wanted shared would come through you. Um, what do you think he'd say to your husband? Your husband, Steve. Yeah. And this is sort of like all of you that don't feel very good about your last interactions with somebody that's gone. What would they say? What do you think Christian would say to your husband? Well, my aunt who told me that, tell my mom that I love her. She, he also, she also gave us a message from Christian for my husband. And he said, tell my father, I am so sorry. He was my best friend and I never meant to hurt him like this. And I think that's what he would say that he had no idea the ripple effects, you know, when someone's hurting and they're in a dark hole, they just want that pain to stop. And I understand that you just want the pain to stop but it doesn't just stop with you. It might end and you're out of that pain, but that pain just transfers to over a hundred people and the ripple effects just go on and on. And the, the grief that happens after and, and trying to just 
pick ourselves up and move forward is just so difficult. And I don't think that, like I said before, that they're in their right mind. They don't understand really what they're doing. And I don't think he understood the ramifications and, and how it would affect us by, by his leaving. I like that answer. How, what would he say to you? And what has he said to you? He has said to me that uh, I need to get over the fact that we kind of argued a lot. He has said that he did it mostly just to be a little bit of a a naughty boy, <laughs> you know, just, just because he could get a rise out of me and that, um, that we're good. We're in a good place. And he's very, very glad that I'm sharing his story so that other people can learn from it. I love that answer. What would Christians say to our listeners who are, have a plan and, um, it's sort of there and they kind of know if they got in a bad spot, that plan might become reality. What would he say to those people listening? I think you would say, get some help, realize that people love you and they do need you, um, that you're not a burden. That's one of the other things that, that these people get to this point where they feel like they're a burden on their family. And that's, that's usually never the case. Um, you're not a burden. You are needed. You have so many gifts. I tell people, I think about, um, two mentors in my life who both when they were younger had had suicidal tendencies and thought about suicide to the point where they came up with a plan. Fortunately, they didn't go through with it. And later, you know, in life, they did some skills and things and learned things. And to the point where I hired them to be my mentor. And I look back on that and I think, what if they had gone through with it? They wouldn't have been there for me at the time when I needed to hear their message. And I think all of us have a message I think my son had a message and anyone else who might be hurting, you have a message and you're that mentor for someone else down the road. And if you don't stick around, you're not going to be there for the person that needs you at that moment. I love that Lark. And I try, maybe a therapist taught me this is try to imagine our older selves talking to our current selves. So you listeners that are <laughs> where Christian is and wondering if you can stay another day, I think imagining your older self talking to you now, they would do what you just talked about. They talk about your life and the ability to help people and they'd give you hope. Somebody described it's like a tunnel with no light at the end of the tunnel, even though them leaving causes a ripple effect on other people. But for those, I just say you try to stay another day. Right. I mean, and you just think about the, kids, you know, 19 year old that their frontal lobes not developed. They don't understand everything. And as an adult, as I look at this situation, I think, okay, so, you know, you lose your license for a month, you know, worse things can happen, right? Or, okay, grades are slipping. Well, you know, you buckle down and you make some different choices and et cetera, et cetera, or you get a bad grade, but you go on, right? As an adult, I can look at that and think rationally about it. But when they're younger, especially, you know, there's a high suicide rate for freshmen, college freshmen. Interesting. It's just so much pressure and so much expectation. And that's the thing that we need to be careful with as parents. You know, let, let your children know that you love them no matter what, that they aren't expected to be on the honor roll all the time, or they're not expected to get into law school with the top honors or graduate from medical school, anything like that, that just love them and stop 
putting all this pressure on them because it's so heavy. Talk about this time. There's one other question I want to move in a different direction. Um, he did go to therapy. He did all the right things. I assume the therapist said, and Christian said, you know, this has ended in a good way. I feel pretty good about where Christian is. And and then you have some regret. You never kind of checked it in with him during these years. Well, if, if there's other parents that go, you know, that's kind of our story and our child is alive and but we recognize they did go through a really difficult spot. We just don't quite want to bring this up because we're worried it re-triggers them or makes them think about it or any advice for parents or just others that have loved one in their lives just to kind of make sure they're okay on a regular basis. So it doesn't trigger them, you know, and, and we think, oh, let's not talk to, to our kids about sex because then they'll want to have sex or let's not talk to them about, about suicide because then they'll want to have do suicide, right? That is not the case. If they're thinking about it, if they're in a dark hole, we absolutely have to talk about it and we have to use the hard words because as a therapist described it to me, you know, they are in a dark place, they're hurting and they want the pain to stop and they'll do anything to stop that pain. And, and like I said, I've felt that pain before. It's like, if you slash your arm and you've got this huge gash, you look at it, but logically, you know, okay, it'll get better at some point it's going to heal. But when you've got this pain inside you, you don't know if that will ever heal. You don't, you don't have any experience with the inside getting fixed. And so by talking about it and using the hard words that allows them to express it and them to say, I do feel this way. And because they're already feeling terrible about thinking about suicide and they don't want to tell you about it because that, that would just be more difficult for them. And so that's why we need to be very willing to talk about it. And I've had a lot of candid conversations with my, my daughter since then. Good about it. And the younger daughter has not taken his death for, you know, very well. She, she gets angry with me for even bringing it up. And I just say, I have got to have this conversation with you. She is a freshman now at the university. So, you know, that prime age, right. And, um, just to check in with her and, and to do it. And here's the thing that I didn't know, even with, you know, the different schools talking about some suicide thing. I did not realize that suicide was the number one killer of our youth in Utah. And I think my husband and I are pretty good parents. You know, we're warning our kids about dangers or we're doing different things to protect them and help them. And yet if this is the number one killer, why didn't I know about this? Why wasn't I more vigilant? And that's what was just the shock to me as a parent coming through this and saying, how did this happen? And I, I felt so blindsided by learning how prevalent suicide is. And I just have to say, you know, I'd heard about it here and there, but, and even though it had been in my family because of my father, I still said it's arm's length. It's out there when really it was right next to me. And I never knew. Those are great answers, really helpful answers. Um, you talked about before we went on the podcast about going to a bereaved mother's retreat, if that's the right language, where you need community with other people walking this road. And, and in the course of that, I hope you felt some healing and you were able to heal others, but you also kind of talked about common attributes of some um, people who die by suicide. Sure. Cause I think that's just helpful for listeners. So there were, um, there were seven of us mothers there well, that were attending for the first time. And then there were two mothers who had lost children by suicide um, a few years earlier, and they were the ones hosting this. And as we're talking about the different stories and the different kids, uh, there seemed to be a theme, not with every single one, with 
but with a lot of them that, that the kids who had died by suicide, they, they were very tenderhearted. They were more like apt to emotion than, than other kids. And I, and I always said that, that my son was more emotional than my daughters, which, you know, you that seems a little odd boy, girl, right? But he was just more tenderhearted than the girls. And, and that seemed to be a trait amongst the kids that, that they were more tenderhearted, uh, felt things and they were very inclusive. They would, with their friends, they would look for people who were being bullied or were, who were hurting or were on the outside and they would go to them and, and try to include them and that they had friends across the board. It didn't matter what group they were in. They had, they could be your friend all across the board. And that was a theme that was going on over and over again. And I attribute it to their maybe feeling hurt and pain and their being able to identify when other people were hurting and in pain. That's very insightful. Um, I'm looking at a picture from the obituary of your good son. You know, he's in, I wish all our listeners could see this. Um, just great young man with a wonderful future. Looks great. And, and one of the things I just tell us about the funeral and just all the people that told you stories about what a great young man. So, and I'd like to yeah. use the, the present term, great young man, your son is. And you know what? I saw a podcast about this, about, you know, as someone passes on and they, they still refer to them as, as present tense. And I do that all the time because for me, he is present. He's, he's here. And some people, you know, in the beginning would say, well, how do you feel now that your son is gone? And I'm like, but he's not gone. He's right here in my heart, you know? And I love talking about stories about him and funny things and other people have experienced with him because that keeps him alive. And to me, that honors his, his memory. So I don't mind doing that at all. Just so people know, um, at the, so there was a viewing on the Friday night before the, the first funeral, there were two funerals because he was, um, laid to rest finally in, um, the new Orleans family tomb that my husband has. He's from new Orleans. So that first Friday evening at, there were students from the university that came in his engineering program. There were students from the high school that he attended. There was teachers and uh, the principal and vice principal from his high school that came. And then he had friends from this group, this magic group. It's a card game. He was very invested in this, this magic. I think he had a couple thousand dollars worth of, worth of these magic cards. And that was kind of his passion outside school. And all of these different people just came and told us different things about Christian and gave us a lot of, uh, of insight into, you know, his life as a, a student and with his friends. And one story that touched us so deeply, we learned that the reason he was staying so late so many nights was that he was helping the other students with their math and trying to help tutor them so that they could keep up in class. And once again, this is the engineering program, so it's pretty difficult. And so he was helping them, which I was really kind of surprised at. I didn't realize that. And then there was another friend there that just touched me so deeply. Um, a young man came, he was a freshman, came with two other, two other students, two, two females, and all three of them were in the engineering program. And this young man could barely talk. He, his head was bowed and he was just sobbing. And the, the one female student had to talk for him at first and said, he's from Illinois. He came out here, just started school and, and he's brand new and he didn't know anybody. And then the, the young man spoke up and said, 
Christian was my first friend. He reached out to me. And I think that's indicative of our son, that he was looking for the one that was outside, that felt alone. Seems like what Jesus did, as you describe your son, always being with the one and always looking for the marginalized and always putting his arm around somebody. And thanks for all the lives you've blessed, Christian. And I think all of you, I don't want anybody to go to their funeral to, to understand the totality of the lives they're blessing. Um, but I think all of you out there are like Christian. We all have blessed more people than we'll ever know. As I give blessings at times to people, I'm just, one of the themes that comes to my mind is all the people that you've helped, that you have no idea you've helped. Um, and that you won't really know the totality of that until you complete your mortal life and are on the next side. And um, so, you know, I just think, I, I love what Christian's done and you probably we probably will never know the totality of what this good man has done for other people and how many people miss him. And, but don't, you know, don't move up your funeral to see that because you have a lot of people that you can help. Um, but know that you're doing a lot of good, even if you don't see that, or you serve in quiet ways that other people see, or sometimes you are difficult to people and hurt other people, you know, don't choose leaving because of that. Um, do your best to mend those relationships and do your best to move forward and don't let the future, the past define your future. Talk about any feelings about the pre-earth life and you and Christian's relationship and what, now that he's gone, what that means. So as I mentioned before we started the podcast, after going through this um, deal with the therapist and Christian telling me he didn't believe in God, and I kind of had to realize I had to change the way I related to my son. I had to treat him more as an investigator and be more Christ-like in how I dealt with him and not this whole military, we do it this way because, and that's just the way it is. And so I had to change the way I was just thought about him, uh, but he was still on my mind. I mean, literally he's the person I thought of every day and I was so frustrated with just every day. I had this frustration with him over and over. And one day, um, I think he was well into 16, maybe close to 17. I'm walking down the the hallway at our house and I'm thinking about my favorite topic about how frustrated I am with my son. And I had this thought come to me and the thought said, he's not the problem. You are. And that stopped me because, you know, none of us like to think that we're the problem, right? The problem's always with someone else. And then I had this picture open up in front of my mind of me and my son, Christian, standing there, you know, in the pre-existence and he's talking to me and he said, mom, you're going to have a hard time being Christ-like, but I'm going to help you. And I think it's so ironic that here was my son that we named Christian. That was the only name my husband and I could agree on who supposedly didn't believe in God, but that he was going to help me be more Christ-like. And he has not only, you know, during those first few years after uh, he's, as I'm trying to relate to him in a better way, but now even more since he's passed on, just the message that I have is love, just love others, especially our children. I always felt like I was here to save my children. And that's 
not the way it is. And as soon as I realized that this huge burden came off my shoulders, I'm not their savior. They have a savior. I am here to love them and guide them. And that's all I can do. And if I can love them no matter what, then I've become Christ-like. It's just kind of personal, pure personal revelation you're sharing with us, Lark. And how, what's the difference? What, how does that change things for you as a parent to think I'm not my child's savior, that Jesus Christ is my child's savior? How does that affect you as a parent? It allows me to love them more for whatever they're doing right now, whatever choices they're making, uh, probably choices that I don't necessarily agree with or that I would do, but I'm not responsible to make sure they get back to God. And here's the other thing I've learned is that eternity is a long time and there's lots of work to do on the other side and they are going to be in exactly the place that they want to be in. And we can be happy together no matter what it looks like. And like I said, I, I don't know that I would have felt that way before my son passed away. Or, you know, a lot of times we have a tendency to be very dogmatic, like it has to be a certain way. But we're not in charge of that. And I have finally come to the realization that I am so happy that I am not in charge of it. Um. Do you think Christians' eternal possibilities have changed because of a suicide? No, I don't. And I'm so grateful that nobody ever even intimated that, that, you know, oh, he's damned now that he has taken his life because he, he wasn't in his right mind and he wasn't thinking right. And I believe that he's taken the path that he needed to take. And I'll tell you, after he, you know, came to me and said, I don't believe in God. You know, I believe in science. And I had lots of prayers to Heavenly Father. And I said to, to Heavenly Father, okay, I have done everything I could with this kid. I'm giving him back to you, so to speak. You know, I'll be here. I'll support him in whatever path you feel like he needs to take. I'm a supporter, but uh, you're kind of in charge of him now. This is not the path that I thought he would take, but I think it's the path that he probably was meant to take. Now he's having all his questions answered. He was, you know, loves to know things and he's in a place where he can get his answers. And I just feel that uh, everything will be okay. Heavenly father will take care of it. And I come back to the doctrine of our church that I love and just the power of that doctrine. If I sometimes want to go to the 40,000 foot level of that doctrine with a pre-earth life, a mortal existence, and a post-earth life that has glory and growth. And, and we have heavenly parents that love us, um, that want us all to get back to them. They sort of write the rules and make the judgments. And I think, and I just think of that, it gives me great hope um, for people that choose paths outside of our, our doctrine or children that choose to step away, or even a a son that dies by suicide and those we grieve. And, but then I think that if we really own the power of our doctrine, it gives us the ability to have hope and then we can heal a little bit better as our worst nightmares. I had a woman on the podcast whose son, oldest son and husband both died by suicide and not in that order. And as she said, I'm living my worst nightmare and maybe that's how you feel. And but I love the power of our doctrine and the hope that that brings. It doesn't take the pain away. Mm -hmm. 
Um, any thoughts on that? There are so many. I feel like there's so much grace and goodness that that Heavenly Father has for us. I feel like he wants us to learn and grow. And sometimes we learn and grow through really hard lessons. Like I've had to learn through my life. Um, and then I, I also think that when we're going through these hard times is that he's there to help us. Um, then the day my son died, we had our elders corn president who has known us for years, who was, we've lived in this neighborhood before Christian was born. So he's known Christian his whole life. He came over and gave my husband a blessing of comfort. And then he gave me a blessing of comfort. And then as he's going through it, he sort of stops and he says, Lark, you have a lot of work to do, a lot of work to do. And at the end, I'm thinking, well, that was really weird. I, I, okay, I have my own business and I work, but why are we bringing this up now? You know, this seems so inappropriate. Well, over the course of that weekend, as they're calling me and I'm realizing, I realize what that work is. And that work is to raise awareness around suicide and to let people know that there are, there are other options. Um, two months after my son died, uh, a mutual friend of ours, her adult daughter passed away and she lives just up the street from me. And it was maybe an unintentional suicide. Uh, and I went up to be with her that day and it brought back all the feelings from that day of my, my son's passing. Just everything was fresh and raw. I don't regret going to see her because I'm grateful that I can feel that I can feel sadness and I, I can feel love. Um, and, but as I was coming home from that, I got the message clear from Heavenly Father. He's like, not one more child can I stand to lose, not one more to be lost. And so this work of telling people, you matter, you, you need to stay here, you can make a difference. Whatever you're doing, whatever, it doesn't matter, just that you're here. That's what Heavenly Father wants. He wants you to be here. I love that. I love that you speak for Heavenly Father, and I believe that. I believe even those that we've lost by suicide and in the great eternal plan that will all be made right somehow. And um, I don't think, I think he wants people to stay because I think one of our fundamental missions to be here is to bless other people's lives. And if you're gone, you can't do that. <laughs> and I use this quote a lot about the wounded healer um, that basically is this idea we're all wounded healers, but uh, an authentic leader can't lead people out of a desert um, unless he's been there. So those of you that have really worked on your emotional health or felt suicidal or even had an attempt, as you're able to stay, then you can help other people and you have unique perspective and gifts. And perhaps one of the other best gifts you can give to others is hope. Just hope that there's something better around the corner, even if there's no light at the end of the tunnel, as someone described it, and there's no hope. Maybe you, because you know that desert, can give them hope. So please stay. Um, we need you to stay, and we need to be honest and vulnerable and talk about difficult things. I've been open in this podcast that I've seen a therapist a couple times. I've had some of these thoughts. I've never had a plan, um, but I recognize that you know, really good people, consider myself a good people, have difficult times emotionally. And um, sometimes it's the perfect storm where a bunch of things come together and um, you need to reach out and talk to people. But I'm in some ways, I'm glad that I've had 
some of these difficult experiences in my own life that I've shared with you at times, our listeners, because I think it's I've given me more perspective to lead other people out of different deserts because I know some of those deserts. Um, you know, lots of deserts as a mom, um, losing a son. Other things you'd like to share with our listeners, Lark? Just the aftermath. Um, it's actually been almost harder for me after my son's suicide than than dealing with the actual suicide because I'm trying to keep the whole family from like literally wheels off the bus, right? We've got different personalities. We have different grief cycles. And that was really hard because I had kind kind of come to, you know, my determination that I was going to spearhead this mission of suicide awareness and okay, let's, you know, gird up our loins and move forward. My husband was not in that place. He was devastated, barely able to function, completely distraught. And, and so he's not willing to like move forward as quickly as I am. My girls aren't moving forward as quickly as I was, you know, I had one girl who was ready to quit everything and go off to help youth in wilderness therapy groups. And we're, we're like, what you have a mortgage, you can't just leave. And then another daughter, like I said, the younger one who wouldn't even couldn't, we couldn't even say his name and she would freak out. Um, And so that was something that I had to come to terms with to allow the other people in my life, their stage of grief and not force them to move forward faster than they were ready and to honor them in the place they were. And and that's been a little bit hard, you know, and and we've continued to progress, but uh, just loving them and allowing them space, that's been important. And then just being really concerned that they would get into a dark hole where they would choose that option as well. That's been something that I've had to like really be vigilant about and, and try to help and as best I can. And, and it's been a difficult six plus months, just the whole aftermath, really difficult. Do you hope this has peaked in our community? Cause it's, as you mentioned, it's a leading cause of death. Um, your son wasn't gay, but um, it seems to be harder for LGBTQ Um, people in the community, just other groups. Do you feel like we can get our arms around this and it can peak and we have better tools? What are your hopes for the future? I think that we're becoming more aware of it. The church has donated some money towards that. I think the state of Utah is doing some things. The legislature funded this um, Safe UT app, which, you know, people can use um, to get resources. I think they're becoming more aware. I think people like me, parents, or, or siblings, my, my older daughter has started speaking out about it. If we can explain this and help people to understand this is prevalent, this is not, you know, just so-and-so in the next County over, this is somebody in your neighborhood that is, that is suffering or has chosen that path. This is close. And with the statistics, it could very well be your family, you know, next month, the statistics are so high right now. And so I am hoping that by becoming aware, we're willing to say life isn't perfect. I've been hurting. I'm here to support you if you're hurting too, so that we can allow that conversation as I've done that through Facebook and just talked about it. I've had so many people feel safe enough to reach out to me and say, I attempted earlier this year or I attempted 20 years ago. And this from a woman, you know, stalwart LDS woman, you would never think that. Right. And And so it's a safe place that people can come and share when they're hurting and 
just, I can offer them some resources or say, I understand that's, that's huge. And so I think as, as the grassroots, as we spring up and we talk about it and we're willing to love people, you know, I, um, I mentioned to you earlier that our, uh, another neighbor, their son came out gay when he got home from his mission. Right. And that's been hard for them. And he's one of our neighbor boys. We've known him, you know, for 15 plus years. And yet when we see him, we hug him. Good. He comes to church sometimes. Th- that's what I want to see. Good. Stop the judging and just hug people, love them, let them know that you care because that's, what's going to make a difference in any community. It's when people feel they're on the fringes. They don't, they feel that they don't belong. That's when they're going to take their life. I really like that. Uh, Jeff Case was on an earlier podcast, and I think he talked about the Fallon model of, I can't even probably say the word right, suicidality. And he talked about three circles that kind of related, and one was a feeling of not belonging, um, and not belonging to a faith community, to a family, to schools. And a second one was um, a feeling that you're a liability to your family. Right. Both of those things I've heard over and over again from therapists. Those and, two. And then the third one was just a higher risk for kind of impulsive behavior, which trends younger and probably trends more male. Mm-hmm. I think males are more successive, uh, successful with suicide because they tend to take a violent approach, whereas a female might choose a bottle of pills, which she might be able to be revived from that, you know, just the violence involved with the males. So that really made sense when you use the word belonging. I think everybody needs to feel like they belong and that we accept them for where they are. And if, and I don't, I'm not critical of you at all, obviously we're not, um, but your son, you know, didn't believe in God. And I think you did a good job of saying you're welcome in our family. And that took a little bit of a journey, but I think you got there and I think you're at peace with that. But I think it's a good example of where a curveball came to a family <laughs> And it, there's lots of different curveballs our kids send us, but a feeling that they can still belong in the family um, and a feeling that they're never a liability to the family, that the family's better off with them. And even if whatever's going on, that they still, you know, we're better off with you here. You know, I think parents are, especially in um, the church, they're so concerned. Oh, if I accept this, then that means that, that if I accept them, then that means that I accept the behavior or I accept, you know, what's going on. And that's not what it means at all. You know, it just means that you can just love them and accept them for just who they are. It doesn't mean that you're going to embrace the lifestyle yourself, right? It just means that you love them. That's it. That's okay. Yeah, I think we do get caught up in condoning if we, you know, we're too. And so I think you just love and you leave that at the Savior's feet. Mm-hmm. Becky McIntosh, um, who's got a gay son who's just been married on her church's video, Mormon and Gay. She talks about when her son, you know, returned missionary started to date men. She used this phrase that kind of stuck in my brain. When you just let it go and leave it at the Savior's feet. You know, I could just see the relief. It's the same message that you're sending is I can't be my child's savior. I can't control my child's outcomes. I can't control choices of, I can maybe control a seven-year-old's choice to some extent, but a 15-year-old's a whole different world than an adult child. And I think parents want to have, rightly so, the outcomes that we feel will be best for our kids. Um but I think when you just let it go, it's relieving as a parent in some ways. 
Um, any thoughts on that or any, as we're coming to the end of the podcast, um, I'd love you to have you tell about the book you're writing and a possible title and just anything else you'd like to share with our listeners, Lark. What's been interesting is as I've been made known by God that this was my new mission, like literally I feel called to this. Uh, my family sometimes says that I need to not talk this much to strangers about it, but you know, and I'm always bringing it up, but I feel like they Good. need to know. I, I really do. And, um, I just feel like we need to share this message. And as I have been instructed that this was my message and my new mission, I told Heavenly Father, okay, I am not in the medical field. I am not a therapist. I am just a concerned parent. So if you want me to do this, you need to open the doors. And that was my promise to him. I said, I will do whatever you tell me to do, including talking about suicide, uh, bearing my testimony, talking about God, you know, public forums, whatever I need to do, but you have to guide me. And he has done that in many ways. Um, the, the first thing is, you know, any kind of nudge I get, then I follow it, any kind of inspiration. And, um, as we're a couple, I want to say about two months into it, I was like, how do I get my message out there more? And I asked that on a Friday evening and then the Saturday, the next day, I'm just quickly scrolling through Facebook and I see this, this, um, ad that says how to be on other people's podcast. Good. And I'm like, Oh, cause I'm aware I'm looking for the signs and I'm like, okay, that's what I need to do. I need to be on other people's podcasts. So I put it out to my community that I'm looking to be on podcasts that align and yours is one of them. And so that's why I've been able to be on over 15 podcasts and I have several more lined up Good. because that allows me to reach thousands of people that, that weren't in my sphere. So that was one thing I did. And then another thing was I was texting back and forth to a friend a couple of days after that. And she was texting two people at once. And, and the text that came to me was supposed to go to the other person. It says, you need to get your book out there. And I'm like, I'm not writing a book. Oh, wait, I guess I am writing a book. So these things, these Good. nudges or whatever happens, I just follow them. And I just, I want to write a book that talks about my journey with my son. It wasn't always pretty. It wasn't, you know, oh, we were the closest best friends ever. It was, I have regrets. These are the things I maybe would have done differently knowing now and, and kind of giving people hope that, that you can go forward with your life by choosing to find something good, even in terrible situations. And the good for me has been, I can share this story with others so that if we keep one child here, if I can help one parent not have to go through what I've been through, then I've made a difference in the world just with the one. And um, so many people need to hear your message. And I hope at church, we can talk more. These are the kind of the taboo subjects um, that are difficult sometimes to talk about at church, but I hope as we mature as a church, we can talk about these kind of subjects and somebody like you could come in in a, in a, what do we call those? The fifth Sunday combined and you could talk about the subject and people just be on the edge of your, on their chair, because these are the subjects um, I think our members are, are anxious to talk about in a faithful way from people like you that have walked this road and the things you can teach us as parents. So um, thanks for being on the podcast, Lark. Um, your good son turns 20 on October 21st, you know, 2019. We're recording this podcast in early October and some ways I think, you know, he's aware of that birthday. It's his time. It's a mortal birthday from his time here, but maybe we keep track of birthdays on the other side that way. And 
Christian, if you listen to this podcast, I don't know how that works. Thanks for all the lives you blessed, and thanks for being with your mom and healing your mom and dad. And I love the messages you've sent to your mom and your dad. And Dad Steve, I don't know if you listen to these podcasts, but I think you're a pretty good dad to Christian. And I think all of you parents that have lost somebody to suicide, I think um, I think those on the other side would just wrap their arms around you and tell you it's going to be okay. And our Heavenly Father would tell you the same, and our Savior can help take your pain away. And I have no idea what that pain's like. Um, and you're helping more people not to feel that pain, Lark, by sharing this story. So thank you, Lark, so much for sharing your story. And and thank our listeners for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. And we sure appreciate all you're doing to get the podcast out to others. Our our listenership is continues to really grow pretty fast. And even though we produce a lot of podcasts, it doesn't seem to decrease the amount of listeners, but it's really um, the guests that are the heroes. That's the reason people are listening, people like Lark and others that have bravely shared their story so we can all learn and do better. And that's really the name of this podcast. Thank you for joining us.